Recently, I came across an article by a sleep specialist which talked about CBTI as the gold standard in treating insomnia. I'm a little cautious about blanket statements like these. There is a wide gap in the sleep care paradigm. Millions of people lie between great sleep and having diagnosed sleep disorders. There is so much outside what has been researched in sleep which can be supportive even to support someone who does need that skilled sleep care. Talking about this gap is critical. In today's episode, we will answer three key questions. Could your unresolved sleep challenges lie within that gap in sleep care that is often missed? Two, can interventions outside of research support even those who need diagnosis and care by a sleep expert? Three, what are the eight aspects of tier one of sleep deficiency and how can identifying them help us sleep? Speaking into this gap in the sleep resolution matrix has been on my mind for a while now. Can opening yourself up to new possibilities help you? Let's find those answers. My guest today is Andrea Nakayama, who is founder, CEO Emeritus at the Functional Nutrition Alliance. I brought Andrea as she's masterful at speaking into the gap. She's trained thousands of practitioners and she's the host of the award-winning podcast, The 15-Minute Matrix. This conversation continues on the next episode. Let's get started. Hey everyone, I'm Deepa, Light Functional Medicine Practitioner, author and yogini and you're listening to the Sleep Whisperer podcast, the only sleep podcast with conversations and meditations. I'm on a mission to share profoundly insightful sleep conversations with global visionaries that merge together functional medicine and ancient wisdom. Breathe in bliss through weekly guided meditations and let yourself enter the land of dreams. Together, let's unravel the pieces, get to the roots and understand the right tools to transform your sleep completely. Through this podcast, I want you to dream the best version of yourself. It's time to regain hope and begin your sleep journey. Andrea Nakayama, pleasure to host you today on the Sleep Whisperer podcast and I'm thrilled to have you here and we must mention right at the start that you're my very first mentor. So this conversation is something that I'm really touched by and we're talking about the three tiers of sleep deficiency. This is an important conversation especially in the milieu of the present sleep uh, paradigm where there's a lot of focus on what you and I call tier three. And I'd love for us to break that down for the audience. Uh, and I know that sleep is also something which you consider a very important part of the entire healing paradigm. So I'd love for us to go into that before we jump into our tier three. And of course, before that, what is tier one? What is tier 
do and what can we do about it. Um, but just give us a little snippet into Andrea and your journey. And we'd love to know about what got you into the healing path itself. Oh, yeah. Thank you, Deepa. I'm so honored to be here with you and excited about this conversation. As you said, sleep is a hugely important factor in our overall health. And before we get there, I will share that what led me to this journey of health and wellness was when my husband, Isamu, was diagnosed with a brain tumor in April of 2000 when I was just seven weeks pregnant with our first and only child. And that diagnosis was very grave. He was given about six months to live, so not expected to see our son born. We were able to do a lot to uh, shift that paradigm a bit so that he lived two and a half years. He did have a good year and a half with our son, but died in July of 2002. And that whole journey really woke me up to where there are some gaps in our current healthcare system, but also to where there's more that we as patients can do to uh, influence our health outcomes. And teaching into those gaps is my honor that I have to teach practitioners like you, Tipa, to really think and reframe the picture of health. Of course, that all impacted my own health journey as well. I was later diagnosed with an autoimmune condition and was able to manage that. I still manage that. So, so many things, as is true for many of us, that led me on my own health journey, on my family's health journey, and then to have the opportunity to counsel hundreds, thousands of people, and then train so many more practitioners. Beautiful, Andrea, and I must admit that I still get goosebumps hearing your story even so many years after I heard it for the very first time. And it, I just cannot see, and I know that you bring also a lot of emphasis to the difference between post-traumatic stress and post-traumatic growth. And I can so see that in you because oftentimes you can see people go down the spiraling downward uh, direction of post-traumatic stress in situations like that. And these are actually times where sleep does get impacted as well. But let's talk a little bit because you train so many practitioners and I'm sure there's so many levels of specializations that everyone takes. But I do notice that the common denominator everywhere is the importance of sleep and you yourself bring that into the foundational aspects of anyone's healing journey. So why have you placed sleep in that aspect of importance? Yeah, that's such a great question. And I think in a gross way, in an overall way, we can think about restoration and resilience. And basically what you were reflecting back to me, Deepa, is resilience, the ability to take the insults that we're exposed to and be able to right ourselves again, because there are going to be stressors, whether they're environmental or physiological or psychological, we're going to experience 
experience so many stressors and insults in our lives. So that restoration and resilience is really at the core or the global aspect of sleeping that we want to benefit from. But if we think about the physiological aspects, I like to break it down into four different categories. And those categories are energy production, neuronal support, immune modulation, and biotransformation boosting. And those are the ways in which physiologically we are benefiting from sleep. There's so many other ways because those four physiological aspects influence other aspects of our health. But again, it's energy production, neuronal support, immune modulation, and biotransformation boosting. And I'm happy to talk a little bit more about that if we want to, or we could dive into the tears. I would love for you to just jump into that a little bit, Andrea, before we go into the tears. Yeah, absolutely. So energy production really talks about what it sounds like, right? At its core, it's energy production, conservation, our performance. I like to think of nutrition as growth, metabolism, and repair. That's what nutrition is for. And so for me and my teaching and my practice, nutrition isn't just about the food we eat. It's about everything that supports growth, metabolism and repair. And sleep is one of those things. So sleep helps with the release of certain hormones. Certainly we're familiar with the hormone melatonin, also growth hormone, and also the release of proteins that help with that repair. And obviously when we sleep, we're coming into rest and digest. So we're coming into the parasympathetic instead of the fight or flight, which is the sympathetic. And that has to do with also uh, the release of our cortisol patterns and the modulation of our cortisol patterns. So when we think about energy production from a clinical perspective, it's just what it sounds like, the, the production of energy, but we're thinking about it through these biochemical or biological arenas. The next one, and this is something, Deepa, that you are so good at talking about, which is that neuronal support, and uh, that has to do with our nerve cell function, our brain waste clearance, and these kind of, some of these overlap, our cognition, our impulse control. So sleep has really been shown to be beneficial for that impulse control, and we can think about that in relation to ADHD, but we also think about it in terms of what we are doing day to day, what we don't want to do when we, uh, you know, like exercising, you know, we might say like, "Eh, I don't want to, but really being able to shift those patterns, sleep helps with the shifting of those patterns and with overall brain plasticity. So the way we regenerate the cells in our nervous system, sleep supports all of those functions. For a second, Andrea, because that was something interesting that you said, and when you said impulse control, so I'm also thinking that it's our ability to jump and react uh, in a primitive manner into anything that affects us and that goes back to resilience to our situation or whether we are reacting from a space where there's conscious thought. And um, so uh, instead of the amygdala, 
uh, more from the prefrontal cortex, that conscious yeah. space. Go ahead, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, that's so true, Deepa. And also like impulse control in our reaction, but also our ability to stop a reaction, right? So without yelling or hitting or any of that. And, you know, we may exercise that differently as a toddler than an adult, but when you're around an adult who's reactive and reacting like too harsh and too fast, that impulse control goes both ways. How quickly can we react and how can we stop ourselves from reacting? And that comes into play each and every day. So the immune modulation, two of my favorite concepts, one together, modulating the immune system. People are often like, what does that mean? Because we need our immune system to be enhanced in certain ways, but we need it to be balanced in other ways. And sleep really supports that modulation through the release of anti-inflammatory cytokines. So it's helping with our immune modulation by lowering that uh, overactive immune response, but the loss of sleep can lead to pro-inflammatory cytokines, and it can also impact our natural killer cell production. So with the decrease of our natural killer cells, which happens with a lack of sleep, we are more prone or more susceptible to cancer growth and viral infections. So there we can see um, in a pretty immediate way these days how sleep supports ample natural killer cell production. It supports the ability to have those anti-inflammatory cytokines. And when we don't sleep, decrease natural killer cells and the increase of pro-inflammatory cytokines that's connected with all of our chronic disease states that we see today. And there's a lot of information these days about sleep immune crosstalk, the way those two systems talk to each other. I love your um, use of the word modulation, Andrea, because that's something that I come across a lot when people talk about adrenal and adrenal boosting supplements. And I'm always about there are people who are hyper, hypo, and we want it to be in a state of balance. I love that you brought attention to that. Yeah, absolutely. We're always trying to balance these things because as we'll talk about, as we look at our tiers, there's an area that we need to think in that balancing scale arena. So the fourth one, we covered energy production, neuronal support, immune modulation, is that biotransformation boosting. Biotransformation is a fancy word for detoxification. It's just how we think about it biochemically. And mostly what sleep is supporting in terms of biotransformation or detoxification has to do with the brain. So we're back to the brain support. It's said that the space between the cells increases, allowing toxins to flush more easily out of the whole nervous system. That's called the glymphatic system. And this is where we address those beta amyloid plaques that are usually associated with neurodegenerative diseases like Alzheimer's. So these, hopefully I went into those in the way that makes it translatable for everyone. Um, uh, those are ways we think about the biochemical benefits of sleep. 
Beautiful, Andrea. And I do want us to jump into the three tiers. And, uh, um, and the reason I asked you to talk about the three tiers is that recently I've seen a lot of expert sleep research and uh, sleep experts talking about how uh, we need to have very strict um, charlatan lines so that only people who are in the space of sleep research can actually be uh, allowed to support sleep challenges and needing research to validate aspects before someone can uh, claim to be helping sleep. Mm -hmm. And I know that this is an area that you were the perfect person to bring highlight to that you talk a lot about research versus the individual's feedback and so much more in that. But I would love for us to talk about the three tiers first, just to bring some attention to how these uh, concepts in the sleep space that we need research is actually a tier three. And if we could just work our way around the three tiers in a way we were talking about tier one more as what it contributes to sleep deficiency and what do we need to do tier two as to what might be missing and what can we bring to support ourselves which helps to uh, move past sleep deficiency and of course when do we want to actually look at the tier three when we done all the work and then we move into the tier three space yeah and deepa if it's okay i'm just gonna start with the difference of what we're talking about from a functional perspective so if i understand we're talking about pathological sleep issues sleep issues that have a diagnosis and there's a whole realm of sleep issues that are medically unexplained, right? They don't fall into the diagnostic arena. And that doesn't mean that those people, just because they don't have a diagnosis, don't need some kind of help. So pathological is when there actually is a diagnosis. When we think about a functional arena, we're actually looking at preventative care. So we're addressing the issue before it becomes pathological or gets a diagnosis. And we're kind of thinking about what I would call terrain medicine. What is the environment in which disease or a problem can occur? And we're recognizing that sleep or lack of sleep, as we identified, can be a factor that can contribute to health challenges and even uh, be one of the, the precursors or a factors that tips the point to a diagnosis. So there's a difference in how we're looking at it. And this has to be a both and arena. That's how we fill the gaps in healthcare. We can't just address people who have pathological diagnoses everybody deserves care if they're challenged in one area or another, or they have chronic issues that aren't being addressed. So I just wanted to ground us there and any comments from you, Deepa, I know this is how you think, but did that address some of what you were talking about there? Yes, absolutely, Andre. And what my mind went to when you said that we need to fill the gap and we need to be able to provide help even to those who are not pathologically diagnosed is that there's also gaps where 
uh, we require all levels of practitioners. We do require yeah. the tier three support at yeah. some time. There are patients who have certain chronic sleep conditions where that sort of help is a must. However, there are also so many other people out there who are not diagnosed with chronic sleep issues. And they could be helping themselves in so many ways with whatever else is out there. So I think there's space for everybody. It's never an either or in any case, patient or practitioner. Yeah, a thousand percent. Whether we're looking at a pathological issue or not, even when somebody receives a diagnosis, they're not going to get all their help from one place. There's the gap that I like to say is the appointment gap, right, Deepa? It's the time between when you see your doctor. How do you self-care during all that time between your doctor's visits? And that sometimes deserves, not sometimes deserves, it always deserves, but it requires a different kind of practitioner who can bring light to the practices that we embrace for ourselves each and every day. So that brings us into the three tiers. Maybe we can identify what they are and then talk how they relate to sleep. Does that work? Yes, perfect. And I love tier one because I truly have found, Andrea, in the last few years of practice that all I'm doing is tier one and tier two. And I'm hardly ever coming into a space of tier three because I think the work is so good in those two spaces that so many people find resolution to symptoms and labels when they've just done that work so well. Am I still allowed to give you a gold star? For saying that <laughs> yes your gold stars are always collected <laughs> absolutely yeah there's so much work to be done in tier one and tier two so the three tiers that i've identified are tier one the non-negotiables tier two deficiency to sufficiency and tier three dismantling the dysfunction and um, there's different ways we'll look at this, but tier one, the non-negotiables, these are the factors that in functional medicine and functional nutrition, we ultimately identify as our mediators, the things that help us feel better or make us feel worse. And these are very empowering for us as patients to know about ourselves. And oftentimes we need help getting there. We might need help understanding how do I identify my non-negotiables? So the non-negotiables for sleep in and of themselves are, you know, I've kind of identified eight different non-negotiables. One is a sanctuary. Two is darkness. Three is to keep it cool. Four is to unplug or no glow. Five is to catch the wave. Six is to calm down. Seven is to rest and digest. And eight is to assess substances. So each of those areas give us the opportunity to kind of grade ourselves to see how we're doing. I'm almost seeing them in their own matrix, Deepa. Like if I were to put them in their own nodes of a matrix, where do we say, oh, I've got that, or I can do a little better. And then we can start to tweak for ourselves where we can focus. And 
each of those is an area we can discuss. So I'm happy to discuss any one of those as you'd like. I think we'd love to have an overview of all of them because there's uh, importance in all those areas. And I know that um, something like the phrase catch the wave may be something very new to listeners and I would love for you to break that down for us as well but uh, I, I had thoughts going to every direction when you mentioned all eight of them so maybe just a quick overview through all of them. Yeah, that sounds good. And feel free to add anything you're thinking, Deepa. So sanctuary is creating a space for ourselves where the place we sleep is restful. And the only things we're doing in our bed have to do with the things that belong in our bed, whether that's sleep or sex, whatever it is we do in our bed, that's what our bed is for. So we're not using our bed to do work. We can read in bed, relaxing practices in our sanctuary and having a room and a space. Our space really impacts us. So making sure there's a space we feel comfortable. Now, I want to recognize that this might not be possible for everybody because of various reasons that might impact how much we're in control of our space, how much we're in control of the safety we feel given our partner situation. So sanctuary is an ideal and we have to remember that we're not all going to sit in the ideal or be able to control the ideal. So we look at the factors that we can influence. So that's sanctuary. Darkness has to do with the light that comes in our room from outside, whether there's uh, street lights, anything we can do to make our room, our place of sleep, as dark as possible. This helps us get into the most restful place. The keep it cool, there's actually quite a lot of research around temperature and sleep. And in fact, some of the research that's been done most recently, like in the last five to 10 years that has studied people in um, non-industrialized cultures even shows that sleep time is shorter when people are in the hotter climates or in the hotter seasons. So keeping our space cool enough that we can actually relax and come into a restful place and not have heat in the night. And again, some of these things might not be controllable. And then we don't just throw it out the window. We look at the other factors that we can control. The fourth one I said was unplug or no glow. And this has to do with unplugging as many of the uh, plugs that we have in our room around us, especially those that are in a certain range of our head when we sleep. So about 10 feet away, so we don't feel the electro electromagnetic fields, but also the glowing lights that come from alarm clocks, TVs, whatever we have that's plugged in, that's lit up these days, trying to reduce that glow so that we can come into that darkness that we're trying to provide with our window coverings. Deepa, I always remember when my son was little and we would go to visit my parents, he would make them cover like the thermostat, anything that glowed. He was very aware of that disruption because he never had it um, 
in, in his childhood bedroom. There just was no glow. And I notice how, how sensitive I am to that glow as well. I want anything that might be in my range of vision to be low. This is also the problem that people have when they wake up in the middle of the night and they check their phone. You're immediately changing your retinal response to lightness and darkness or going to the bathroom and turning the whole light on. So what are the things we can do to stay in the darkness? I'm going to pause halfway through. Yeah, go ahead. Yes, and Andrea, I had so many things go through my head when you said sanctuary. I thought of the world of difference in my sleep in my first marriage, which was abusive I didn't feel a sense of safety and so therefore that's that safe space is a lot to do with as you mentioned the people there or who's there so I can definitely uh, be sensitive to those who don't have that space Um, and you mentioned the glow Andrea and what popped in my head right away was just recently i gone to my eye doctor after 20 years of having my vision corrected with a laser and he told me when I asked him that I'm so sensitive to little spots of light that my husband almost called me the sleep diva because I had to keep (laughs) covering little pinpoints of light and he said that those who've had any form of eye surgery whether it's cataract or whether it's corrective vision surgery, they can be very sensitive to light because they've scraped the cornea and they've corrected something. And I know that I did a lot of research into the crossover area between uh, the health of the eyes, just general retinal health, because it plays a key role in the conversion of light and how circadian rhythm functions in the body. Uh, So I wanted to bring attention to that area as well, because so many people have had Um, eye surgeries be it cataract or corrective vision and that can be why they're so sensitive to light so it's not that they're sleep divas it's just that there's actual physiological (laughs) aspects that's contributing to that I'm gonna claim being a sleep diva even though I haven't had eye surgery. So yeah, I think that that's such a good point. There is a lot we can be looking at in relation to the eyes, the health of the eyes, and our response to light and dark in the room. Um, But also it's disruptive even for those of us who haven't had any eye surgery. So I'm glad you brought up those connections, Deepa. They're so important. And I'm also glad that you acknowledged the sanctuary piece and how difficult that can be, even if you're sleeping with a new partner, right? Like there's an adjustment that needs to go on that can be very disruptive to our sleep. So that sanctuary is, uh, it's, it's in itself many faceted and something we can be exploring for ourselves as clinicians, something we could be exploring with our clients or patients. And that's not the work of the pathological field of medicine. And so that is where we're filling this gap to really dive into this level of detail. Um, And we're just in the non-negotiables in relation to sleep, right? Like these are the things that if we're saying tier one, what are the things I should be looking at first and foremost? 
I was just writing about this, Deepa, because sleep isn't a command, right? We can't just tell people sleep better. Like there's a lot to unpack that might be impacting somebody's ability to sleep. And I love that, Andrea, you spoke, you bring so much attention to tier one and tier two, because as I mentioned to you earlier before our conversation, that I really grapple with that statement of treating someone and that they have a problem. Uh, sometimes it's more looking at it as there's, what can we do to just restore the calmness? What can we do to just restore the balance? And that's all what we're, you're, you are bringing attention to here. Yes, absolutely. And it's so fascinating how these things that we can do actually impact our biology and our physiology and how we function, right, in all aspects of the word. So that next one was catching the wave. Really, we have a higher cortisol in the morning and that goes down through the day until it's at its low point and it rises when we're sleeping. So I call it catching the wave or it's like a ski slope, right? We start with energy in the day and then it comes down through the day so we can fall asleep. So getting at the place where you're honoring the circadian rhythm, your body's cortisol rhythms, and um, catching that time when it's at its low point allows you to fall asleep more easily and stay asleep more throughout the night. When we're in that place where the cortisol is going up, which it does to wake you up, like it doesn't go from nothing to a hundred. It's a slow progression up. And if we try to fall asleep while it's on the upswing, it's harder to fall asleep. And again, it's going to be harder to stay asleep and have the most restful sleep. And in fact, when that happens, that's when we often feel that second wind or we get our best work done. And so recognizing that we want to catch it helps us to have that better sleep. And this, I don't know about you, Deepa, but this is the hardest one for people to change because especially with children, a lot of us like that nighttime when we can have time to ourselves and get things done. So that one is hard and might take some slow reversal back to that kind of 9 to 10 p.m. range in order to really catch that wave. And Andrea, you know that uh, in Ayurveda, it's also the 6 p.m. to 10 p.m. is considered a kapha time, which is when we want to do things which are more about slowing down and going to yes. sleep before the pitta time of 10 p.m. hits, which is all about... Um, you know, this whole wanting to do and wanting to achieve and then that's it, you've lost your sleep. And I just wanted to quickly add here because you mentioned this is the one that I struggle with with clients because no one wants to change that. And I'm always telling them that your me time is actually your sleep time when you are on a path of healing because your me time sitting in front of the television at that hour is not going to allow you to stay balanced through the day. You're going to be grumpy and then it's going to impact your relationships. And so I'm always stressing, look at the sleep time as the me time for now. 
I love both of those points, Deepa. One, I didn't know that about the kapha and the pitta time, and that relates to the rest of what we're going to talk about. But yes, our sleep time is our me time. I recently saw a new acupuncturist, and she said, I noticed in your intake that your stress is high, but your sleep is good. That's not usually what people say. And I was like, you know, that's a priority. It's a non-negotiable. Sleep is a non-negotiable for me. I honor that bedtime between nine and 10. And I notice it if I stay up later, especially because I have to wake up early to get things going in the day. So that makes it even harder. So just recognizing what happens. And if it's hard to do, giving it a try, scaling back half hours in half hour increments and seeing how it feels. Do you have more of that energy production? Are you able to have a stronger immune function, fight off more of the things that you aren't able to grapple with when you aren't sleeping as well? So it's just interesting to look at it through that lens. And Deepa, you talked about that kapha time. Calming down is really, really critical for us before we are going to sleep. And it all relates to each other because we're talking about watching television, what that does to the eyes too, and the retinal response to the light, but also what are we watching, right? So if we're watching something like the news and it's upsetting, we're actually getting that cortisol response going up when it should be coming down. So thinking about what you're engaging with in those hours before you go to bed is really also a great way to foster a better night's sleep. So that was catch the wave, calm down, rest and digest has to do with what we eat and when we eat in relation to when we go to sleep. Now, I always like to talk about the heal versus the ideal because there are times when we might need to eat a little bit of something to manage like our blood sugar or our cortisol through the night. So eat a little something before we go to bed. Fat, fiber, protein is my mantra, as you know, Deepa, and just a little bit to help us. But ideally, we have several hours without food when we're in that ideal, not that heal place, so that our body can come into the rest and digest fully be in that place so that our nighttime is more restful. Digestion is stress. It's hard on the body. So ideally, we don't want to go to sleep with a lot of work for our body to do. It does enough while it sleeps. And then the final point was the substances, assessing our substances. So caffeine, alcohol, and medications can impact our sleep. So if we're having trouble sleeping and it is troublesome to us, we want to look at, are we consuming caffeine at all? What time are we ending our caffeine intake, making it ideally before noon? If there is caffeine in the diet, alcohol can disrupt our sleep. So thinking about what's being consumed. And then there are certainly a host of medications that can impact our sleep. So just reviewing that with somebody who can help you understand, are these things impacting my sleep or my quality of sleep and uh, making an assessment based on that? I'm not saying they're all easy to get rid of, 
but we want to take a look at them. I love it, Andrea. And I just want to add a few points. And I do want us to jump into tier two as well for whatever time we can. And one is that when you mentioned calming down and the nature of what we watch. Um, and I know that this is a tricky area because a lot of people do love the adrenal fat shows with, you know, stimulating adrenaline. I myself love to watch Arrow, but I'm very mindful of of watching an episode of Arrow only earlier in the afternoon on a day off and I never watch something like Arrow late in the evening and I just come back into very relaxing heartwarming movies which help me to just feel good about myself uh, and you did mention the parasympathetic state rest and digest and Here's something where I just wanted to bring attention to um, the sleep space where sometimes you'll read articles where they break down um, foods into just tryptophan. So having a banana mm. at night to help you fall asleep. And for me, the mantra is always the sleep plate begins at breakfast. So how your blood sugar behaves from breakfast decides how you go to sleep at night. And it's not as simple as just deciding that banana has tryptophan and it's going to help you convert to serotonin. And having a banana last thing at night is probably probably going to help a random person, but it's going to be disruptive to a lot of people who have sensitivity to their blood sugar. Lovely, Andrea. And I, where can people find you? And I know that we'll attach all the show notes of finding you and working with you. So, but where's the best place to guide everyone? So if you go to fxnutrition.com, you can learn everything there. You can find more about the training program, more about our clinic, my podcast, where Deepa, you've been an amazing guest. So fxnutrition.com is where you can find me and all that we do at the Functional Nutrition Alliance. Thank you, Andrea, for your time. It was such a pleasure having this conversation with you today. Thank you, Deepa. I'm so honored. In this episode, which was part one of a two-part conversation, we heard Andrea Nakayama on the topic of the gap. The gap, especially in the sleep space, is something I'm focused on. I think there is a missing link. Andrea spoke about the eight aspects of Tier 1, which are sanctuary, darkness, keep it cool, unplug, catch the wave, calm, rest and digest, and assess substances. Let me give you my perspective. What do we mean as tier 1, which is often missed in clinical diagnosis of sleep conditions, are mediators that can aggravate or alleviate symptoms based on their nature. My take on this is that each of these aspects are very bio-individual. They can work a little differently for each of us. Temperature is something that we cannot put down as a perfect temperature for sleep, which is what you'll often hear about in sleep blogs. How temperature interplays with us uniquely and with our sleep specifically depends on our body constitution, our present state of imbalance, 
the season, our location and so much more. What helps you interact with this in a stable way irrespective of these unique factors is maintaining daily movement which can help better regulate temperature. There are specific aspects to this as well which we will go into in future episodes. What I would advise you to take from this episode is to unplug all devices which help to unplug the mind. Make this your first non-negotiable and see the difference it makes to your sleep. If you love this episode, stay tuned for part 2 of this epic conversation which will come up on the next episode where Andrea talks into tier 2 of sleep deficiency. Hi everyone, I hope you enjoyed the show today. Just a reminder that this podcast is for information purposes only. It is not a substitute for professional care by a doctor or otherwise qualified health professional. This information is provided on the understanding that it does not constitute medical or the professional advice or services. If you are looking for personal help on your health journey, do seek out a qualified professional. Please do make your own healthcare decisions based upon your research and in partnership with a qualified healthcare professional. It is in no way intended as medical advice or a treatment or cure for any condition. Be sure to always directly work with a qualified practitioner before making any changes to your diet or lifestyle that may feel out of your realm of comfort or understanding. If you are looking for an allied functional medicine practitioner, do seek out more information on www.phytothrive.com. It is important that you have someone who is qualified and understands your health personally in order to provide adequate care, especially when it comes to chronic health condition. Be sure to subscribe to the Sleep Whisperer podcast on your favorite podcast app to get each episode as soon as it launches.